This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. There was a Philippian jailer who asked his what question in Acts 16.30. Acts 16.30, they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? All of these questions has one simple answer, and the answer is, believe yourself into Christ. Believe into Christ. Believe yourself into Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean to be able to say, Habakkuk 1.12, my God, mine holy one, what does it mean to believe into Christ? To believe yourself into Christ means to make Christ supreme in your life. It means to fully surrender to Christ. It means to hold nothing else as a priority that comes first before Christ. To believe into Christ means to put Jesus Christ first. I have a plaque on my desk. It says, Jesus Christ first. It means to be willing to set aside anything that stands in between Christ and me. To believe into Christ is to say the words of the song, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I've renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between like worldly pleasure. Habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from him sever. He's my all. There's nothing between, nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. The history in the Bible is so filled with those who wanted eternal life. They wanted heaven. They wanted it. It's a history, but yet there's these histories of what was coming in between that soul and Christ. The history of those in the Bible who wanted to come to Christ is a history of of Christ identifying what was coming between that person and Christ. Oh, everybody wants, oh, give me a formula, give me a formula. There's no formula. It's Christ, it's a person wanting to come to Christ, and then Christ putting his finger and said, that's in between. And standing there, it's an obstacle. The history of that rich young ruler who dearly, sincerely, fervently wanted to have eternal life, no question about it. 
He and Christ identified, and Christ, Christ didn't say, "Well, all you do is just pray this prayer." No, he put his finger on. He says, "That's it, right there, right there. It's your money." Matthew nineteen twenty one. Matthew nineteen twenty one. Jesus said unto him, "If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me." When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. He had great possessions. It all comes down to one word. It's the word rather. Rather. That rich young ruler needed to say the word rather in this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. When he had to choose, when it was set on the line and there was Jesus on one side and there was riches on the other side, you know what he said? The wrong rather. He said, I'd rather have riches than Jesus. And that's how his riches blocked him. It was the obstacle between him and Christ that Christ pointed out in his life. And Christ is so faithful. He's so faithful to do that. When a soul wants to come to him, he will point out the point. He will point out with his finger what's standing between. In that case, it was his riches that blocked that rich young ruler being able to say Habakkuk 1.12. He couldn't say it. He couldn't say it. Oh, Lord, my God, mine holy one. He couldn't say it because he'd rather have riches. Then there was the history of that lawyer who was also very earnest and sincere And when he was asked what he had to do to inherit eternal life, in Luke 10.25, Luke 10.25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, it sounds so good. It sounds so good. We would say, he's so close to the kingdom. We would say, he's ripe for the picking. We would say, he's going to fall right into heaven. It sounded so good. But there was something between his soul and the Savior. And Christ brought that out to light when he told that lawyer about a wonderful man. Oh, a fantastic man. A neighbor in the truest sense of a neighbor. Luke 10, 29, Luke 10, 29. He, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave it to the host and said to him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. And now of these three thinkest thou, who, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He said, he that showed mercy on him. Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. What stood in the way between that lawyer and Christ was prejudice. 
pure, rotten prejudice against Samaritans. That was very, very pointed. You know what that was like? That was like telling a person in Selma, Alabama in the 1950s, if you want to believe yourself into Christ, you got to go love the black people. That's what it was like for this man. And that lawyer was, oh no, not that. Prejudice stood in between that lawyer and the Savior, and that black blocked that lawyer from being able himself to say, Habakkuk 1.12, Oh, Lord, my God, mine holy one. He couldn't do it. He said, I'd rather hold on to my prejudice against the Samaritans than to have Jesus. It is very relevant today. My rabbi friend wrote me, said, I love you, Tom, because you're a Jew. I wouldn't say these things to a person who's not a Jew. I don't love non-Jews. Prejudice. Prejudice. On the surface, they may seem this, is, this, this may seem like a history of responses to this lawyer to three persons, to a, a person uh, in need, a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. Since there's no Jewish priest today, uh, no one's really sure who's a Levite and who's not, and there's no Samaritan people today. It just may seem like a history today of no real relevance, but this history touches on the greatest relevance for believing into Jesus when looked at from a Jewish perspective. Because the reason is, because this history is about the necessity of turning away from prejudice to come to Jesus Christ. And from a Jewish perspective, the greatest prejudice is not racial. racial. The greatest prejudice among the Jewish people today is the prejudice against Jesus Christ. It's a prejudice that is taught from birth. It's a prejudice that is so strong that is commonly not allowed, as it was in my family, is common. You cannot say the name Jesus Christ in a Jewish home unless you're swearing. And when you do use it in swearing, you will get some eyebrows raised because it's a forbidden name. I remember the first time I told my brother that I had found a peace and a sense of security that I had looked for in all my life. And my brother was so interested in what I found. He was so interested because he also was looking for that peace and security, and I knew it. And when I told him and took out a little New Testament, and I told him that I found this peace in Jesus Christ, you should have seen the change on his face. His face changed to pain. A pain as if I was scratching my fingers across the blackboard. And anytime I brought up Jesus Christ in the future, he said to me, Tom, I want to stay Jewish. That's the basis for the prejudice among the Jewish people that to come to Jesus Christ is to betray the Jewish people and become an enemy of the Jewish people when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's the prejudice to the point of not considering who Jesus Christ is, Messiah, God, whoever. Out of the, it's just out of the realm of consideration is just as God said in Isaiah 1.3, Isaiah 1.3, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider. One simple question at the end of my application 
process for me as a Jew to become an Israeli citizen. One simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? And my answer of yes was the end of the evaluation. You are not fit as a Jew to become an Israeli citizen. Why? Because Israel is the Jewish homeland and their position is no Jew, true Jew, can have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Why? Prejudice. That's why this history about the Samaritan, Good Samaritan, is so relevant from a Jewish perspective because it is teaching that in order for a Jewish person to come to faith, he must cast off his prejudice against Jesus Christ, just as this person had to cast off his prejudice against Samaritans to be in line with God. But not all the histories in the Bible are about people who would rather have riches, prejudice, than Jesus. There was that Ethiopian. There was that Ethiopian eunuch who asked, who asked what stood in his way from him believing himself into Jesus. Acts 8.35, Acts 8.35, Philip opened the, his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Baptism was not going to save that man, but it was an outward step that he was wanting to use to show that he had believed himself into Christ, that Ethiopian. So that Ethiopian asked Philip the question of what was keeping him back. What was it, Philip? Is it the fact that I'm black, that I'm an Ethiopian? Is that what's keeping me back from believing into Jesus? Not at all. God is colorblind when it comes to skin color. What hindered that man was the question that was, that it was still on the table. And Philip told him in Acts 8.37, Acts 8.37, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Same question I was asked in the Israeli application. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. There was only one hindrance for that Ethiopian, and it is the same hindrance for any person, and it is the words, with all thine heart. What would you rather have? With all thine heart. Acts 8.37, Acts 8.37, Jesus, uh, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He might as well have said, with all my heart. With all mine heart, with all thine heart means not just to believe that Jesus is God, but with all thine heart means to totally surrender to Jesus as God and have nothing between. It means to say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. It means to say to Christ, I surrender all. And when the Ethiopian said that, he did. And he believed himself into Jesus Christ. And he could say, Habakkuk 1.12, Habakkuk 1.12, O oh Lord, my God, mine Holy One. I'm working for and looking forward to the day, and I'm hoping, when an application for a Jewish person to become an Israeli citizen will also include that very same question that I was asked. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? 
But what a wonderful day it's going to be when the answer to that question must be yes. Not a denial and rejection, but a confession and an embrace of Jesus Christ as God. That'll be the day. When that happens, that's going to be Romans 11.26. Romans 11.26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Even so, make it so, Lord Jesus. Then there was that Philippian jailer who said in Acts 16.30, Acts 16.30, they brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to his question of what he had to do was simply believe yourself into Christ with nothing between. And Christ said, you'll be saved and the same holds for your family. If they do it, they'll be saved too. If his family believed themselves individually, one by one, into Jesus Christ, they'd be saved. And then they'll all be able to say, verse 12, verse 12, Habakkuk 1, 12, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. And then as Habakkuk looked at the Chaldeans, he realized that God was not going to destroy all the Jewish people when he said in verse 12, in verse 12, we shall not die. That's what we're told in Romans 11.1. 1. Romans 11.1, 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. It looked, like, it looked to Habakkuk like all Israel is going to be destroyed by the Chaldeans, just as it looked that Adolf Hitler was well on his way in succeeding in his plan for world domination and elimination of the Jewish people. But Habakkuk realized God will never make a full end of Israel. He'll purify them. He'll purify them. Malachi 3.3, Malachi 3.3, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Habakkuk realized he'll correct them. He'll correct them. Verse 6, verse 6, Habakkuk 1, 6. I mean, Hebrews 12, 6, Hebrews 12, 6, sorry. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Scourges every son he receiveth. Israel will be chastened. Israel will be corrected. Israel will not be destroyed. Israel will be purified, but not annihilated. Israel will be corrected, but not cast off. As a matter of fact, when Paul described what believers go through, that could be applied to Israel. In 2 Corinthians 6 9, 2 Corinthians 6 9 is unknown yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened, not killed. Sorrowful, always rejoicing. Poor, making others rich. Having nothing, possessing everything. It's just a very small people group compared to other people in the world. They make up 0.2% of the world's population. That's all. And yet they're the focus of heaven. 2 Corinthians 6, 9. As unknown, yet well known. With all the persecutions against them, the Jewish people should have died long, long ago. Should be gone. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. 2 Corinthians 6, 9. 2 Corinthians 6, 9, dying, and behold, we live. Just as the Chaldeans were formed by God for, create, for, for, for correction, for correction, verse 12, verse 12, Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Even, though, even so, the Chaldeans and the Nazis and the rest of them all came with an intention of destroying all the Jewish people. What happened was, 
2 Corinthians 6, 9, chastened but not killed. Israel can say about their history, Psalm 118, 18, Psalm 118, 18, the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. There's only one reason why Israel is not destroyed, why they live today, why they don't die, and it's the same reason that we're not destroyed and we live, is because John 14, 9, John 14, 9, because I live, you shall live also. Jesus lives, we live also. Because Jesus lives, Israel lives also. Just as the Lord said in Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 16, 18, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And in the same way, Christ will redeem Israel and the gates of hell will not be able to stop him there either. And when Habakkuk saw how God had established the Chaldeans to correct Israel, but not destroy Israel completely, Habakkuk saw the power of God. And he said in verse 12, in verse 12, Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. God's might was just like God says to the waves of the sea, you come this far on the shore and no farther. Job 38, 11, Job 38, 11, and said, hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall, thou pro shall thy proud waves be stayed. All this means for us that God's mighty power brings trouble into our lives, is to correct us, to drive the sin out of us. As 1 Peter 4.1 says, 1 Peter 4.1, for as much then as Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then Habakkuk saw something, a beauty in Christ, a beauty in God, a beauty in Jehovah Jesus, a beauty in God. He said in Habakkuk 113, 113, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Habakkuk realized that God is holy. That's realized that God cannot look on sin, which is why the sin offering was totally destroyed by burning on the altar, because that's what God does with sin. He burns it up 100%. The cross of Christ was an altar, and all our sins were laid on Christ. Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when God laid all of our sin on Jesus Christ, God was, verse 13, verse 13, of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that's why with all our sin on Jesus Christ on the cross, God had to turn away his eyes from Jesus and Jesus cried out in Mark 15, 34, Mark 15, 34, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to see which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the wonder of the cross. Jesus Christ dying with our sins on him. Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3, 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture because of verse 12, verse 12, God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity, and we are full of iniquity. There's only two possibilities. 
Either we choose to rather have our iniquity, have it stay with us, and God has to cast us out of his sight in hell forever because, verse 13, verse 13, he's a purer eyes than behold evil and cast not look on iniquity. Or we believe ourselves into Christ who bore our sins, that God turned away his sight from Christ on the cross. The cross was such a severe death because our sins were on Christ being completely destroyed just as the sin offering was being, being completely burned up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. What a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.